Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. Mike down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? Doing well. Uh, Missouri has a very busy week this upcoming week uh, with Georgia coming here for football on Saturday morning. And then Bragg and Rights is here Saturday night, men's basketball. Uh, but kind of taking it back a little bit, Missouri did beat Arkansas 50-48 to 48 on the last second field goal from Harris and Mevis, or as time expired. Langston, you were there covering the Arkansas game. What were your thoughts? It was interesting. You know, everything in the lead-up to this game was, you know, the future versus the past. Elia Drinkowitz against Barry Odom. And in the end, both defenses, Barry Odom and Ryan Walters' defense, really didn't show up. And it was an incredible game for Harrison Mevis to, you know, to win. But it was really just a, a collision of two offenses that really imposed their will. And honestly, I think that the Harrison Mevis, you know, walk-off field goal really covered up a lot of deficiencies on the defensive line for Missouri because Arkansas did whatever they wanted to do in the running game. Traylon Smith was everywhere and it seemed to be on the same type of play. A halfback draw got wherever he wanted to to the tune of you know over 200 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Yeah I, I agree it was it was uh, the main thing I think coming out of that game what I what I interpreted was both Missouri and Arkansas nailed their coaching hires. At the end of the day, it is clear based off the way Arkansas is playing right now, Sam Pittman is the right guy in Fayetteville, and Eli Drinkwitz is the right guy in Columbia, evidenced by the fact that kind of unexpectedly last night, Tuesday night, Missouri was ranked in the college football playoff rankings. I was watching just as kind of like a fan, and I thought maybe there was a shot Mizzou was making it. They kind of ended media availability last night early with players, but that but it, they, it kind of came off like they we were done. We, got, we didn't get one player who we will hopefully will get tonight, but they, it seemed like they ended it a little prematurely. And then right at about 6.05, there's Missouri right there at number 25. And that just is such a disparity between the AP poll where they're uh, 34, the coaches poll where they're 27, and now the poll that matters most, they're 25. First ranking since the end of the 2018 season, first ranking of the Eli Drinkwitz era. It, it, there are so many teams log jammed right there you know, as there always are. So we don't know if Missouri in previous weeks, if they were 27, so they were always on the cusp and getting in, but they're in. And, th- and that's a clear sign from the committee that Missouri, in their opinion, is the fifth strongest SEC team right now, which is huge for Missouri, considering if if George is expected to win this weekend, and if they win, they're pro- likely going to win beat Vanderbilt as well as their final game. That would likely mean that four SEC teams are going to get New Year's Six Bulls. That means that Missouri gets the top protocol for non-New Year's Six Bowls for the SEC, which is phenomenal. And 
a win this weekend would essentially lock them into the state of Florida, and they're probably going to Florida anyway, unless they lose out, and then maybe we'll see. But there's still Georgia coming here this weekend. It's still just just it, it, it's hard to explain how far along Missouri has come because we're recording this on December 9th. Eli Drickwitz agreed in principle on December 8th, 2019, to become Missouri's coach, and his introductory press conference would be a year from tomorrow. Uh, just to think about where that program was then and where it is now is a little crazy to even think about that Missouri right now is ranked in the poll that matters most in this time last year. It was a program almost, I don't want to say disarray because they had so many talented players still, but without a direction. And now they have a clear direction. And yet Eli Drinkwitz is like, yeah, I'm not satisfied, though. I want to keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah, I mean, less than three months ago, you and I were here, sitting here talking about how Missouri fans needed to be patient and that the season would get off to a rough start and that they had to understand that due to the pandemic and everything that changed in this year, that Missouri might not see the instant kind of changes that they would want to see under an offensive-minded head coach and, and, and Drinkowitz, but they had to be patient. And, you know, I'm not saying throw all patience for Drinkwitz out the window, but he's clearly turned this program around from a game last year going against Arkansas where as a Missouri fan, you've got to just be like, this, we can't go lower than this five-game losing streak to defeating Arkansas against really all our odds when you have 43 seconds and three timeouts in a game where you have a mistake there on the uh, two-point conversion that you've got to be thinking to yourself, we, Missouri blew this. And they come back, they win that game. Now they're ranked in the you know, college football poll. Everything is moving in the right direction for Missouri. And with the chance to even continue that momentum against number nine, Georgia, it, it's a huge weekend for Missouri. And we'll talk about this when we come back. Uh, but, uh, we actually have two guests again this week because of the two big games. And I, I, want, I want to space them out as good as possible. So our first guest this week is Mark Weiser from the Athens Banner Herald. He's covered Georgia football for them, I think, I think since 2003. Been there a while. So here's an interview from earlier today with Mark Weiser. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Georgia beat writer for the Athens Banner Herald, Mark Weiser. How you doing, Mark? Doing well, Eric. How's it going? Things are busy, as always, here. Uh, you know, basketball and National Signing Day kind of colliding with the end of football. Obviously, it'll be a busy Saturday in Columbia, not only with Georgia coming to town, but bragging rights and Illinois versus Missouri basketball at night. So, a heck of a day, but we're focusing just on the Georgia football game right now. Kind good thing it's a, good, I was going to say, good thing it's a noon kickoff and not like four, right? Or three, uh, your time, I guess. Right, and we probably mentioned this some other point in the podcast, but if Illinois had won the coin toss to host, it likely would have been at the same time, and that would have been just a mess. But or it probably would have been an easier day considering I would have had to cover one or the other instead of both. But anyway, yeah. just to kind of give us a preview looking into this year's Georgia football team and what the prospects are like right now. Well, they are hoping uh, that they're going to play some football this weekend because they've had two of the last four games. Uh, postpone and uh, it hasn't been a COVID issues on the Georgia side. It was obviously Missouri the first time uh, in mid-November, and then Vanderbilt last week. And I know that uh, that Missouri has uh, what 59 scholarship guys as of Tuesday. So um, that's uh, that's above the what is it 53 is the uh, cutoff. And I know Mississippi State came here with 49. Uh, so I guess there'll be some football. But but Georgia's uh, you know disappointed that they're not playing in the SEC championship game, but, you know, it's been uh, a few weeks now since that was kind of written in stone almost after Florida lost and then 
I mean, uh, Florida beat Georgia, and then, you know, Gators didn't really have a, a schedule down the stretch that you saw many possible losses even. So uh, we're just kind of half looking at next year and, and you know, hoping to, to close strong now this season. One of the biggest things you hear, I guess, around here right now when it comes to Georgia is this is not as strong of a Georgia team as previous years. And to me, that means that just Georgia's not a legitimate national championship contender. But they still are one of the elite teams in college football, in my opinion. Is that accurate? And if so, where did Georgia fall short that maybe compared to a year where they're beating Baker Mayfield in the Rose Bowl and then, you know, they have one hand on the national title in the, at, at the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium before, you know, Tua Tagovailoa comes and snatches it from them? Yeah, I mean, that's three years ago by now, so that's a long time in, in college football. I, I mean, you see what happens at LSU where that seems like a lot longer than a year ago where they, or I guess 10 months ago, whatever it was, when when they were winning uh, a national championship. Uh, you know, for Georgia this year, um, you know, you could blame it on, on quarterback kind of uh, rotating, um, you know, to a certain extent, um, three different starters before they, they finally have settled now on JT Daniels, who seems to be the answer, and if, if he was healthy and they could have had him going at the beginning of the season, coming off an ACL uh, season-ending injury at Southern Cal, they'd probably be a, in a lot better shape. But you can't blame it all on, on that. Uh, Stetson Bennett came in a, as a former walk-on and, uh, you know, came and rallied him against Arkansas and then had top 15 wins at home against Auburn and Tennessee, and obviously those aren't top 15 teams anymore. Tennessee certainly nowhere close to that. Um, you know, but then Bennett uh, kind of showed up in terms of, you know, that he was, uh, that he had a certain ceiling. And then against Alabama in the second half, things kind of imploded on Georgia. And then, um, Florida, um, you know, Bennett hurt his shoulder and also had, had, uh, you know, a rough game. And the defense has not been able to slow down those really explosive offenses. Alabama and Florida put up 41 and 44 points. So the defense that had been lights out, you know, last year, uh, has been humbled to a certain extent. I mean, Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator, was just named one of the 60-ish uh, nominees for the Broyles Award, but I, I don't think anyone is thinking that, that the defense has had an award-winning type performance given all the talent on that side of the ball. One thing I also wanted to ask you is you are – I know you are one of the – I think the number is around 65 or 70 voters in the Associated Press poll uh, this season. I don't know the exact number, but I know you're one of them. It happened yep. for a few years. You did not put Missouri on your ballot. I think some fan, even though I don't think they should be ranked right now, I think somewhere in the 26 to 30 range where they should be, you did not have them on your ballot. Would a win over Georgia put them on your ballot, or how close were you to actually ranking Missouri this week? Oh, certainly if they beat Georgia, they'd be on my ballot. I looked at them. I mean, they were probably around, uh, you know, four or five, six teams that I looked at for like the 24th, 25th spot. Um, I guess the reason I didn't is, uh, you know, the quality of wins, uh, the opponents that they've beaten. Um, you know, South Carolina, um, would they beat it by seven or eight or something? Um, and then yeah. they, they – what's that? Yeah, it was seven points. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then they beat uh, Arkansas last week by two. And who's, who's the team I'm missing in between there that they beat? Uh, they beat Vanderbilt 41 nothing. Yeah, the Vanderbilt. So – um, you know, certainly five and three, and and I, I think uh, you know Drinkwitz will will get some uh, serious consideration for uh, SEC Coach of the Year. I mean, it might be hard to give it over Dan Mullen, unseating Georgia three straight years uh, that, that the Bulldogs uh, were you know representing the East. Um, 
but yeah, Missouri needs that kind of really win that makes you stand up and, and take notice. And um, I went with uh, like an unbeaten Buffalo team, and I can't remember who else I threw into my top 25 that maybe wasn't there. But I looked at Missouri, but I went, I, I didn't put them in quite yet. I think maybe a Texas team after they destroyed K State was around there too, and you know a couple other teams like that. But anyway, um, just kind of now looking at how Georgia matches up exactly with Missouri. Seems like Missouri's corners are going to be really young. Um, Adam Sparks opted out um, of the season on Saturday, and Jarvis Ware, their most experienced corner, isn't going to play on Saturday. I mean, I know George Pickens is one of the best fighters here in the conference, but just does this play into Georgia's hand a little bit? If Missouri is not as experienced in the secondary, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, Pickens has come back the last couple of games, and Daniel threw for JT Daniel threw for 401 yards, four touchdowns uh, against Mississippi State. Um, you know, they have a, a freshman that's really come on, Jermaine Burton. They actually got another freshman to who debuted last game, Arian Smith. I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be near the top of the rotation, but but Kyrus Jackson uh, is a guy that that's been kind of uh, you know a go-to receiver, maybe not as flashy uh, you know as uh, as a Pickens, um, but uh, you know if they see that as a matchup they want to exploit, they will. But they're also happy to just you know pound the ball and, and run all over a defense like uh, they did against South Carolina where, uh, you, you know, they, they ran for, I can't remember because it's been about 10 days already, but like 300-plus yards and, um, you know, basically didn't have to kind of lean on one guy. They, they just showed the load with James Cook, uh, with Zamir White, with Kenny McIntosh. They might be getting back a true freshman running back this week in Kendall Milton. So they have plenty of options and, uh, you know, they will uh, take whatever the defense gives them, as Kirby Smart likes to say. That sounds good. But just a lot of people also, I think, are curious. What is Georgia playing for? At the end of the day, I mean, it just now, now that they know they're not going to be in the SEC title game, is it enough motivation to where they want to just finish strong in a COVID year or make sure they get to the New Year's Six? Or what? What, what do you think Georgia's kind of motivation is right now? I mean, that's a good question for basically anybody that's not playing. You know, doesn't have a real shot for the playoff. And you know, Georgia's been. Uh, in this field before where, where they've had to, you know, go to, to the, the Sugar Bowl both, uh, the last two years were, were disappointments that they had to play in that game because they were in the, as you mentioned, the, the national size in the championship game in 2017. Um, but they, they seem to be motivated enough. I mean, they, they, uh, haven't gone through the motions. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that Mississippi State hanging around had to do with Georgia's attitude or, or effort. Uh, it had to do with, you know, Mississippi State just taking advantage of underneath uh, passes and Georgia, uh, you know, n- not playing it well. Um, you know, the fact that you haven't had uh, many opt-outs at Georgia, um, you've had a couple guys this week go in the transfer portal, some, you know, reserve wide receivers that don't have any catches this year, but you haven't seen the level of, uh, you know, roster attrition that you've seen at a lot of other programs. So do you think this is a New Year's Six team? I mean, or did, obviously they need to win this week and make that happen. But where, where do you kind of see Georgia ending up at the end of the day? Because I think that besides Missouri, their only game left should it be played would be Vanderbilt. Yeah, if they if they can get that game in. Uh, yeah, I mean, Georgia, we'll see what the uh, College Football Selection Committee uh, places them. But, but uh, they, they had them, you know, in the top uh, ten last week. Um, and... You know, maybe they, they slide a, you know, a spot this week for, you know, being off. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's obviously if they, uh, they beat Missouri, that, that's their biggest hurdle left. So I, I would expect them, you know, maybe the Peach Bowl, uh, down the road in Atlanta, 
Um, you know, that, that's the most uh, likely scenario. Uh, the Cotton Bowl, I guess, is is an, another possibility. But, um, you know, it, it'll be a situation now. You know, there is buy-in now. Um, maybe it will help that there's going to only be like a two-week window between the end of the season and the bowl game because last year a lot of, you know, Georgia had both their starting tackles, uh, you know, skip the bowl game, and, and you might see that, you know, as well. Uh, you know, they might get advice, uh, whoever's looking at the NFL, um, you know, now those are two first round picks. I'm not sure Georgia has anyone of that caliber this time around. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, that's the nature of the bowl system. You know, you're, you're going to see a lot of uh, guys that, that are thinking more about the draft than just playing one more game. Gotcha. I haven't seen updated odds on BetMGM yet, but I know Missouri opened as a 13 point favorite in Vegas. Um, how do you see kind of Saturday playing out? Would you take Georgia with the spread, or how do you see it that all playing out? I just made my picks for our USA Today uh, Sports Network, and I, I, I kind of hemmed and hawed. I mean, I, usually with, with Georgia, uh, if there's a large number, and I don't consider 13 to be too large a number. I mean, you know, Vanderbilt, there's my dog, if you want to say hi to my dog. Uh, Vanderbilt, my, my, mine's right here, too. She's sleeping now. Bailey, I've, already, I've already given my dog two treats during this interview, and she wants a third now. So um, that's, her, that's her bargain, I guess, for staying quiet. Um, I have to ask, is your dog a bulldog? It is not a bulldog. Okay, I, ha- I had to ask. You live in Athens. You're covering the bulldog. It would be interesting. You had a bulldog. No, it's a, it's a rescue dog. It's uh, it's not a bulldog. Um, so um. Yeah, I mean, uh, I took Georgia um, with the points um, because I, I saw what they did at South Carolina, and, and I don't think, obviously, that, that Missouri's at that level. But as you mentioned, a couple guys on, on the back end uh, not available for Missouri. Uh, I think 13 is not too much to ask for, but certainly I, I think uh, you know, Missouri can be hanging out there, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter with a chance to win. I mean, uh, you know, you've seen uh, probably – uh, better Georgia team going to Missouri and, and uh, kind of a scuffle, uh, you know, over there, you know, I think it was a couple of years ago even, um, uh, you know, so it's uh, certainly possible, but I'll take the, the points. Very, very cool. Yeah, my dog actually is a beagle and a rescue too, so very, very cool to hear that. Um, so, yeah, where can where can everybody read the uh, opponent's perspective this week and where can I find you on Twitter? I know you're not traveling here on Saturday. It's all, I'm sure for opposing beat writers, a trip to Columbia has got to be one of the more hectic in the entire conference. Uh, just got to fly in either St. Louis or Kansas City and find your way in, but you know. Just, yeah, no, uh, I mean, I've gone to every other road game. This will be the first one I'm not going to, and uh, they haven't been necessarily um, easy trips. I mean, I've driven them all, uh, including driving to Arkansas, driving to Kentucky, driving down to Jacksonville for the Florida game, driving to Lexington. But now, now with uh, now with Georgia you know, out of the uh, SEC uh, East Coast and uh, just didn't make sense in uh, December yep. and, and, of course, uh, COVID and all that. <laughs> I got you. So oh, we're gonna oh find- to, find, to find my stuff, uh, onlineathens.com. Uh, it's in the Bulldogs Extra section. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Mark Weiser, and uh, you can spell it M-A-R-C-W-E-I-S-Z-E-R. Very cool. One last final question for you. Uh, what, what, what are you doing for Hanukkah in this COVID year? <laughs> um, don't really have any uh, great plans. Uh, I think my dog is a Hey, hey, chill out. <laughs> now, now, what's your dog's name? Now, now we're here. What's that? What's your dog's name? Uh, Finley. What is it? Finley. Finley. Like, Jermichael? Uh, no, I don't know. My wife, my wife picked the name. I, oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's not. Uh, no, is that, that is, what sport is that? Football. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. But but 
but very cool. No big plans for Hanukkah. Well, once again, after all of that, this is Mark Weiser, uh, Georgia beat writer for the Athens Banner Herald, uh, actually fellow Montgomery County, Maryland native. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining us as always, and I guess I will see you on Zoom on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks. Good to be with you. And thank you once again to Mark Weiser for joining us on this week's podcast. And as you heard there, Langston, do you have a guess as to uh, who uh, Midnight Train to Georgia is by? Have you heard that song before? Oh, man. I'd, I'm going to guess it's Ray Charles, but I know it's no, not. Th- th- no, Ray Charles sings Georgia on my mind. Different song. Very good guess. But, but, but I, I will accept credit for that. That is another famous song involving the word georgia and that's the state song of georgia maybe i should have played that instead no uh george midnight train to georgia's gladys knight i know you know i know i know i know you know who gladys knight is i I do know who's gladys knight i love it did (laughs) i I think the the listeners should know i did not hear the song right so i i I did not guess that gladys knight sounded like rachel (laughs) right i put that in later so you know he was not guessing that gladys knight with that voice like you could have gone maybe anita baker or someone like that maybe sounds like gladys knight or tina turner maybe someone like that but no not ray charles no very different people, but both incredible. But anyway, getting back to uh, the fo- Missouri football talk, one point I was going to make kind of going into the break was where Missouri is in terms of ranking not only we, – we said how they are nationally, but in terms of the SEC, I think it's really important, and you can't understate where they are going now. In terms of their bowl range, and it's as good of a prospect Missouri has had conference-wise since, I would say, 2014, the last time they were ranked really highly – in the college football playoff. They made it at the end of 2018, 23rd, but they kind of knew where their prospects were by then. Um, so kind of just looking at the scope of things, the worst Missouri, in my opinion, can finish in terms of the bowl hierarchy of the SEC is eighth. That's the worst they can do. Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, um, Arkansas, Kentucky, South Carolina, that's six teams right there, are all guaranteed to be below them with guaranteed losing records. Uh, LSU right now is in eighth. Missouri does ha- not only hold holds that head-to-head tiebreaker with them, uh, but in terms of them being a blue blood, I think they'd be more favored if they win out. Um, but if Missouri loses out, I think LSU would still be favored over them. But LSU has to get through Florida. I don't see that happening. Therefore, when that happens, Missouri can only finish seventh. Um, the team in seventh right now is Ole Miss. And I think they may be easier to jump. But winning either one of Missouri's final two games they would jump Ole Miss, and that would put them sixth. It gets kind of troubling when you get to four, five, and six. I think that Georgia would have to lose out, Missouri would have to win out for them to pass Georgia, who right now would be number four. And even at that, Georgia's enough of a blue blood where I think a outback bowl would still want them over Missouri, unfortunately, and even geographically. So essentially, I, I've kind of deserted the top four of Alabama, A&M, and Florida, whoever you want, two, three, and Georgia at four, away from Missouri. So their maximum right now is where they are at number five. It's interesting when you compare them and Auburn at five, six, because Auburn would be a geographical help. Auburn is more of a blue blood in college football, but you can make a pretty succinct argument that Missouri on field-wise is on par with Auburn right now. They have a young star quarterback and a lot of great pieces around them, very similar to Auburn. So, and I don't think Missouri would mind all that much if they dropped a six, considering there's a couple bowls right there that even if they get the second best Florida bowl, you know, there's still a lot of contention there with the Citrus Bowl, Gator Bowl, and Outback Bowl all right there from Missouri. So 
as of right now, I think it's likely Missouri ends up either in Jacksonville, Tampa, or Orlando for their bowl game. Fantastic. And as a person, you know, from uh, Tampa, Florida, I've been around the excitement uh, going into Outback Bowl. I would love to see um, – love to see Missouri in that game, but it really kind of all starts this weekend against Georgia and where I think something has to give when you have Larry Roundtree, you know, with six touchdowns in the last two games going up against a defense that's given up five rushing touchdowns all year and holding opponents to 75 yards rushing. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, in the trenches who wins this game because like we talked about a little bit earlier, through three quarters of the game against Arkansas, Missouri had zero tackles for loss, zero quarterback hits. The defensive line was, you know, flat out getting embarrassed in my opinion. And it will be interesting to see if, you know, with a week after after such a big win if Missouri can kind of turn things around and, and attempt to kind of you know shut down a Georgia offense that is really going to rely heavily on Zamir White and kind of force and we can see if Missouri is able to force JT Daniels to beat them yeah I, I'm, I'm not sure if what happened against Arkansas was more so them betting on a scheme that doesn't work out where if they give up that point totally to Georgia, I think Georgia just has some positions just flat out better than Missouri. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about how Georgia is not the same Georgia team that we've seen in years past. And that's true. But what we define that Georgia team as is, is as a legitimate national title contender. And it's been three seasons. And I didn't realize it had been this long, but it's been three seasons since they played in the Rose Bowl, went to overtime against Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield, and then had one hand on the national title and to t- until Tua Tagovailoa decided to announce his presence on a national basis and pretty much single-handedly lead Alabama out of you know the abyss and hand them a national title in Georgia's backyard. So that's three years ago. That's crazy. And then they've been to the Sugar Bowl against a Big 12 team each of the past two years. Texas, I guess, two years ago. Baylor last year. And it seems like maybe because that's a the Sugar Bowl this year is a national semifinal, they're not going to New Orleans this year. Probably a Peach Bowl, maybe against like a Cincinnati is kind of where they're thinking. Uh, go to a New Year's Six Bowl for a, a, I guess that would be at least a fourth straight year, probably about six or since the invention of the college ball playoff. I don't think Georgia's ever actually ever missed the New Year's Six. Um, maybe at the end of Mark Rick before Kirby Smart was hired right there at the end of 14, 15, right there. But kind of going into this game, Langston, what is your prediction do you think Missouri pulls this upset? Do you think Missouri covers? Where do you see this kind of ending up? It This is a hard game to kind of forecast just because you go into this game, and I, I think we should go ahead and say Georgia's favored uh, by 13 points going into this game. And you really have to kind of think to yourself, can Missouri ride this momentum, ride this three-game winning streak, and make things competitive against a Georgia team that we we should just admit is talented at a lot of different positions across the floor? I ultimately, you know, when kind of thinking about this, it's it's do I believe that Connor Bay is like continue to put up these really quiet, quietly great numbers. And ultimately, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But I did pick Missouri. Maybe it's it's the you know the former uh, uh, Missouri, Missouri student in me. But I did choose uh, Missouri plus thirteen in this game. I think this is a little bit closer than expected. And you know it's crazy to think about this game. You know this happens in early November when you know, Stetson Bennett is still the quarterback. I'm taking uh, Missouri plus thirteen, and I'm not even thinking twice about it. JT Daniels with the six touchdowns and one interceptions in two in his last two starts really does change things a little bit for this this. Bulldogs offense and what they can do through the air but I'm going to take Missouri on a huge weekend to kind of ride that momentum and and, and lose by a touchdown okay you're still choosing Georgia straight up oh yeah um as am I 
Um, and uh, you mentioned that November 14th matchup, and one player who likely is back this week for Georgia who is was going to be out for that matchup uh, was Richard LeCount, with their best pl- player in the secondary. Um, coming off, if they had had that matchup November 14th, I agree with you. That could have been, I think the spread actually would have been closer. Uh, I think it would have been 10 or 9 and a half. Um, they came here then just because they had gotten embarrassed in the cocktail party against Florida and they were coming here a little shorthanded but now Georgia's retooled they're better and after just kind of looking at what they have I, I, I just think that this is a game where I think Georgia needs that little more in the resume and at the end of the day having Missouri in the top 25 does add to a Georgia resume at the end of the day that's a top 25 win whether Missouri's one or five that's a top 25 win so I, I, I think I'm going to end up choosing Georgia not only to beat Missouri, but actually cover the spread as well. Uh, two years ago, the spread was, um, you know, a little higher than, I think it was actually 14 and a half. Missouri only lost by 13 when Georgia was ranked second and came here in the country. I think they were number seven at this time last year at that matchup, and Missouri lost them 27 nothing after uh, Taylor Powell uh, started that game after Kelly Bryant was hurt and couldn't get back after that Kentucky game. Uh, this year, obviously, a completely different team. Just I, This is one of the matchups we, we feared for Missouri kind of coming into the season when you predicted best-case scenario at 6-4. and four, um, One of the matchups we thought would get away from Missouri would be the matchup against Georgia. Um, I still think that's kind of true. You just flip the kind of results of LSU-Tennessee, and then Missouri's best-case scenario has kind of been playing out this season. So I will stick with that original thought and go Georgia definitely to win and to cover as well. Um, now, before we get into the basketball talk, um, one more question I had for you, Langston, was it seems like, at least to me, you can make somewhat of a legitimate argument, more varying for others, for five of the 14 SEC coaches for SEC Coach of the Year. Nick Saban, you can make that argument every year. Mm-hmm. And then Sam Pittman, I think, kind of disqualified himself after a loss head-to-head to Eli Trinkwitz on Saturday, but you can still kind of make an argument that they went from rock bottom to relevant in one year, and that deserves some praise for him. But the three main candidates, I think, in my mind, and tell me you disagree, are Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Dan Mullen at Florida. Unfortunately, you unseat Georgia from the King of the East. That gets him right in that title picture. And then Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. Do you? Who would you be casting your vote for of those three and why? Or do you agree, disagree with me that's not the final three? I think from the SEC standpoint, regardless of winning, I think it would send a terrible message for Dan Mullen to win SEC Coach of the Year just with everything that's happened off the field with them, and and especially when you look at the coronavirus and the way that Florida handled that situation and the way that he was really the cause of a you know halftime brawl between Missouri and Florida. But you know, winning uh, it means everything, um, or it means a lot of things. Um, and he probably will if I had to put money on it, Dan Mullen, especially if they're competitive against Alabama in the SEC championship game, who will probably win um, for what he's done and, and really kind of turning around that program and, and, like you said, unseating Georgia. But I think what Coach Drinkwitz has done here at Missouri is really special to take them from teetering from the middle of the SEC going into the bottom depths of the SEC. Um, you know, you beat Arkansas last year, but it, truly at going into that game, you know, fans and, and probably yourself had to really kind of wonder where these two programs were going. And it, right. Missouri and Arkansas has dramatically improved with their new hires, and I, I'm glad that you brought that up. So if I had to put money on it, it would be Dan Mullen. But I think 
coach Drinkwood should be considered heavily for what he's been able to do, and especially if Missouri unseats Georgia this weekend. It, it is only skyrocketing for a team that was really down in the dumps at the end of last year. I don't know how you don't put your vote on Drinkwitz if Missouri wins out in conference. If, if I don't uh, straight up, I just don't think it'll, that'll happen. Um, but if if Missouri does beat Georgia this weekend, then goes down and wins convincingly against Texas, sorry, against Mississippi State in the final game, that's Eli Drinkwitz's awards. And I think that even a conference title, Florida taking down in Alabama does not unseat that. At the end of the day, Florida was still expected to be good. Florida was still expected to be at least head to head with Georgia, and they and, and they're better, which is. A credit to Dan Mullen, and regardless of what, when you vote for SEC Coach of the Year, you don't vote for their personality. Unfortunately, you do not vote for if they instigate a halftime brawl. Th- those are not criteria. You can talk about how Dan Mullen has acted this year in a different vein, but that isn't what the voters and the media, and as I'll get a vote, should be voting on at the end of the day. And I, I have to, I have to recognize that. If I'm voting for Mr. Per- Congeniality, Dan Mullen would be 14 out of 14 in the conference. <laughs> but if I'm voting for SC Coach of the Year, my, my vote is absolutely going to Dan Mullen right now. It is hard to give it to anybody else at this current moment. I think the only person that can truly, un- the two votes of the game to, to that title would be A&M, should they somehow get all their games in, which doesn't look like they will. So that kind of disqualifies Jimbo Fisher because we keep overstating how good Texas A&M would be, but this is the year they did it. And then the other coach, even unbiasedly, is Eli Drinkwitz. I think if Missouri wins out, that's a legitimate argument. You have to go against Dan Mullen. And then you kind of look head-to-head about who defied expectations more. And I, I think a lot of beat writers have criteria different. And it's not just beat writers who vote. The coaches themselves vote for this award. Um, and, and I think if you compare head-to-head what this would do for Dan Mullen compared to what this would do for Eli Drinkwitz, I think conference-wide, this would probably even maybe even still go to Dan Mullen. Um, it's a tough argument at that point. I think if Alabama beats Florida, I think it's an easier sell for Drinkwitz. Um, but, and you have to look at it this way, too. There's a little bit of politics on, on who wins this award. Giving an award like that to someone from Missouri who's conference-wide still viewed as kind of the ugly stepchild of the SEC. It's only this year under Drinkwitz where they've kind of bucked those expectations because of how he's treated things and how they've been able to win games that they should win and that's a sign of a upper echelon SEC team so right now it, it is a tough road for Drinkwitz to get there even though maybe he has the best stats on paper um, and I fully admit my vote right if I'm voting as of right now season ends today Eli Drinkwitz gets my second place vote so we will go we will start now the basketball talk uh, with Scott Ritchie of the Champagne News Gazette. And then when Langston and I come back, we will talk all things bragging rights for what will be a busy Saturday here in Columbia. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Illinois basketball beat writer for the Champagne News Gazette, Scott Ritchie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, Illinois just beat Duke last night. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, kind of. First off, just take me through that victory and why it seemed like just Illinois just outclassed uh, Blue Blood and Duke at their own place. Yeah, well, I mean, Illinois you know, essentially led wire to wire. I mean, the game was like, tied for 48 seconds, uh, and that was at, I believe, 0 0. Um, and uh, just kind of turned what Duke is good at, and that's, you know, rebounding pushing the ball in transition and flipped it on the Blue Devils and, you know, really took it to them early in that game and set the tone and, you know, 
for a veteran Illinois team to do that to a, a young Duke team, you know, that was the difference. And you know, Duke really didn't have a response. And you know, even when they mounted these little mini comebacks, um, mostly you know, early in the second half, Illinois responded every time. And I think that was probably you know, the, the thing to see. They didn't let Duke get comfortable. And, you know, while I mean, they didn't, you know, kind of totally put, you know, foot on the throat, uh, you know, with some, some turnovers, you know, being an issue, uh, it was you know, a signature win that, you know, this team, you know, needed early in the season. Kind of combined with what you just said, but just give me a broad scope of this year's Illinois team. And if Jay Billis on the broadcast said last night that Illinois is national title good, do you agree with that? And kind of give me a preview of this team as a whole. Well, now that they won at Duke, I'm maybe feeling a little more like that's a possibility. And I, obviously, I've, I've ranked Illinois in the top ten in mean, each of the the first three polls of the first three AP polls of the season. Um, and I do think they're, you know, at least at least Sweet Sixteen, maybe Elite Eight, maybe Final Four, or National Title. I mean, we'll see. Uh, this season's going to be. You know, wilder than than most, I think, but um, that that became a possibility this summer when on back-to-back days you know, in July, first day of August, I would assume when Kofi Coburn said they're coming back, and that raised you know both almost floor and its ceiling considerably. I mean, they're not a number; they're not the number six team in the country right now. They don't necessarily you know go to Duke and win. If those guys aren't on the team, and you know, I would assume preseason All American and through five games has, you know, save for maybe the first half against Baylor, has played exactly like that. Um, he is a, a national player of the year contender for sure. And of the last two years, bragging rights have been Missouri victory, but it was the a few years before that was all Illinois victories. Do the fans of Champaign feel like they owe Missouri one in a sense, or this is the year that they got to buck that trend? Well, last night, unprompted after you know, the game on, you know, uh, what's now become the traditional post-game Zoom, and I would assume it was said, you know, always got a hungry Missouri team coming up next. The, the Tigers have played well, and that Eli and I definitely owe them one. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, I think you know, the team and the fans are hoping for a, a reversal of the last couple of years, but um, Missouri's had Illinois' number in the last two seasons, and just you know, thinking back to those games, especially last year, and then Javon Pickett said it like the Bragging Rights game means a little something to that group, and especially when you consider Pickett, Mark Smith, Jeremiah Tillman all, you know, were either committed or played a season at, at Illinois. Um, so I think, you know, that's just in this little time frame has added a little maybe extra sauce to Bragging Rights that, that it needed because the, the rivalry – so to speak, had sort of gone cold. You know, I don't know that really anyone particularly you know, cared about it as much as they had in the past, but that has changed. I think with Brett Underwood and Illinois and Council Martin at Missouri, and I mean, college basketball is better for it when there's non-conference rivalry games like that. I agree with you there, and I mean, this is likely to be. I mean, I don't think anybody knows Mark Smith's plans on this year because she retain eligibility, but likely to be his final bragging rights game. Uh, the only player, I think, in the game that will be prominent that's been there as long as him that's never lost it. Uh, one with Illinois his freshman year, and then one the last two years with Missouri. 
it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm not expecting him to be absolutely booed as loud as he was the past two years because of those <laughs> family members and friends of Illinois players. So that'd be very interesting if he gets booed that loud, uh, considering I'm sure a lot of his family will be there as well. But how do you think just Illinois fans as a whole kind of view Mark Smith at this point? I mean, obviously you see the interaction on social media, which I'm sure is not indicative of the entire truth, but how do you think that Mark Smith is viewed at this current moment? Well, social media can be terrible when it comes to things like that. Um, and you're right, not indicative of, of every fan, but I, I mean, there's probably still some you know, some measure of enmity you know, against you know, Mark Smith. His one season in Illinois clearly did not go well or end well. Um, and that he wound up at Missouri you know, for you know, the Illinois fans kind of you know, twisted the knife a little more. Uh, but uh, I always, you know, enjoyed my conversations with Mark, you know, dating back to you know, his time at Edwardsville and his rapid rise kind of in the recruiting ranks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if this game was played in St. Louis and, you know, the crowd was split 50-50 like normal, uh, the booze would come hard and fast for Mark Smith. Uh, that, I don't think that's going to change. But you know, So maybe he gets the reprieve you know, this year. Uh, I know last year, obviously as a whole, before the coronavirus shut down, Illinois was squarely in the tournament. They, they, were, they were making it. Uh, Missouri needed a run at the you know, SEC tournament. The, the pieces had kind of just came back together them. I mean, Bragnoise was really the last game they had everyone healthy kind of healthy, and then they didn't really have it again until March against Alabama. Um, does, is that part of the reason maybe you feel like because Illinois definitely had the better season last year that that might be part of the reason they owe Missouri one, or is it just that they haven't beat Missouri as a whole? You know, it's not a successful season unless they beat Missouri. Do you, do you think it's accurate to be called either one of those things? Um, probably more of the second one there. and Because, I mean, Illinois had a, a breakout season last year, and Brad Underwood's third third year and we're ranked in the final year people would have played in the tournament for the first time since 2013 if it had happened um so things worked out you know pretty well after losing to missouri but you know as you know the fact that io wasn't even asked about missouri and you know knew that they were up next and and felt like you know well i owed them one i think that tells you kind of where this rivalry you know sits right now and you got you know got got a guy like Trent Frazier, Demonte Williams. They've got a bragging rights win. Io doesn't, and um, I find it unlikely he'll be back for another year. So this is you know, you know his chance to to notch one of those signature rivalry rivalry wins. Uh, are you are you going to be coming here on Saturday, Scott? Yeah, that's the plan right now as of late Wednesday morning. Um, I suppose you never know how things. Yeah, right. change in the end of day in 2020, but I do intend to you know, be there in Columbia at Mizzou Arena and take in what will be my sixth Bragging Rights game? Fifth or sixth. So it's, it's a game I you know, always look forward to at St. Louis just because the, well, once things kind of picked up seen the last couple of years and you know, just because of the atmosphere. So, I mean, campus right. side will be different, but I think the game, especially with Missouri you know, playing as well as they are right now, Illinois kind of the same. Should be a good one. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's definitely your first Dragon Rice game outside of St. Louis, but you could have covered the team since 1979, and that could have been true. Um, so, with that said, how do you think um, either home court, either way, 
even with no fans there, will affect this rivalry? I mean, do you think that it might lack its luster because there's not 15,000 in attendance, or do you think that maybe it makes it even just because it's down to zero? It's not a true home game for one or the other. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that home court has the same type of feel, you know, this year. Um, and I think, I mean, atmosphere will obviously be different just because, you know, it's not 20-some thousand people, you know, packed at the Enterprise Center. But the game can have the same kind of energy. Um, if, if the two teams are engaged, and that's, you know, from one through 16 or 17 or however many, you know, down the bench. Um, I just think back to the Jimmy V Classic, you know, a week ago in Indianapolis, Gonzaga, West Virginia, the benches were not engaged. And it was really hard to connect you know, with that game, you know, being you know in the in the arena like I was. Illinois and Baylor, all of their players, both sides were were locked in, and it made a difference. So I guess we'll see you know then how you know, Illinois and Missouri you know show up in that regard. Not to put you on the spot here, Scott, but how do you see Saturday playing out? <laughs> yeah, if it's the games on Saturday, I you know won't have to make my official pick until Friday. But I guess I can you know do the the rule off the top of my head right now. Um, after the way Illinois played at Duke, um, yeah, I think yeah, I'd give the Illini the slight edge. Um, you know, you, you always talk about you know, throughout the the record books, you know, when it's a rivalry game, and I think that can be true, but. If Illinois plays like it did against Duke, um, they're they're tough to beat. And, and I, acknowledging the fact that, that Missouri is you know, playing really well right now, and you know, I did in fact uh, rank them this week after you know, they beat you know, both Oregon on a neutral site and Wichita State on the road. So uh, be a good one. Uh, maybe Illinois by three or four. We'll call it a close one. Gotcha. That was Scott Ritchie from the Champagne News Gazette. Where can everybody read the opponents respected this week and find you on Twitter? Um, you know, always hit you know linehq.com if you have interest in Illinois basketball, and you can follow me on Twitter at srritchie r i c h e y. And uh, sometimes I'm funny. Uh, sometimes I, I only think I'm funny. <laughs> All right, thanks for joining us, Scott. Appreciate it. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. Thank you again to Scott Ritchie for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Definitely a longer episode this week. We apologize. But with how long Saturday's going to be in Columbia and two dynamite matchups happening in the city, I mean, if both those matchups go right, this could be one of the best days in Mizzou athletics history. I think it's an uphill battle for them to win both of these games, and we'll get into why Illinois did that in a little while. But before we go any further, follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Langston, the Columbia location of Zaxby's is... 104 Sugar Hill Lane. Correct.
it's it's not Cinnamon Hill, it's Sugar Hill. No, it's Cinnamon Hill. It is Cinnamon Hill Lane. <laughs> you know what? I, I said that with so much confidence. Sh- it had like, to be wrong. You said, you said like the Sugar Hill <laughs> Gang. I don't know who that is. But any, anyway, but back to the actual talk here and uh, get your Zaxby's. But anyway, back to the, now the basketball talk. Um, Saturday night, Bragg and Wright's uh, not in St. Louis. Uh, I was about to say it's not been at the Enterprise Center, which actually is untrue. But it has not been in St. Louis since 1980. The last two uh, campus matchups were at in... Champagne in 1978 and Columbia in 1979. What were you doing in 1979, Langston? I don't even know. You I don't. You weren't alive, obviously. I wasn't alive. Uh, any, anyway, but no. <laughs> in 1979, I mean, who president was Carter? You're asking the wrong sure. person. Sure. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, going, going forward, um, you, you look at just what Illinois did last night, and they absolutely outclassed Duke for 40 minutes at Cameron Indoor Stadium. They're the number six team in the country. And it's clear that this is a team, according to Jay Billis, who said they are national championship good. I'm not sure I give them that yet, but they are dynamite. I can tell you that they are a well-balanced top-to-bottom team with great players. You know, Ayo Desunmu looks like a Wooden Award candidate. You know, Kofi Coburn in the middle has definitely improved from this time last year. I mean, Kofi Coburn straight up last year, bragging rights by Reed Nicko. And when you're that high of a highly recruit, just it's experience that absolutely won out. And so coming into this year, it's going to be much more of a battle between him and Jeremiah. I know the Mizzou basketball has a game tonight against Liberty, and I'm expecting them to win that regardless of Liberty defeating Mississippi State and South Carolina earlier this season. I don't think that either of those two teams are all that great in the conference. Missouri is definitely better. Uh, So we'll see how that goes tonight. But kind of looking forward to Saturday's basketball game. So what are your thoughts kind of going into bragging rights? First, I want to pump the brakes on the Illinois being a a national title title contender last week on the pod i talked a little bit about how ugly the champions classic was between duke and michigan state and that's just continued this duke team isn't good um they're extremely young and they might get better as the season progresses but for illinois to just outplay them for 40 minutes didn't really surprise me from what i had seen against illinois when they played number two baylor a week ago so to see them you know beat duke that wasn't a surprise to me this duke team isn't good now kind of moving towards bragging rights i mean this has to be the game of the year so far if you're a Missouri fan football or basketball wise in my opinion because there is so much hype revolving around Illinois and Illinois did it again but uh, it's a weird name for a state. <laughs> it's okay um, and they are legitimately good I, I, I do want to say that but I think there's a clear difference between the Baylors and the Gonzagas of the world and Illinois so I just wanted to make that known first but I do think Illinois is clearly a better team than Missouri at this junction of the season so it'll be interesting to see like you say like a Kofi uh, Coburn and to see if he can kind of improve on you know a bad game against the Tigers last year and it'll be interesting to to see you know if Missouri can continue to play and continue to get good quality shots because that was the major takeaway that I had against Oregon they're getting better more quality shots against teams and the ball seemed to kind of get stuck last year throughout stints and, and it seemed the ball movement was so much better and the shooting was so much better against Oregon yeah, and they beat Wichita State with the same type of deal. I mean, they locked down a little bit more on defense uh, on on Sunday. But, yeah, it's clear to me, I mean, you win in Cameron Indoor, and that's a good win on the road when you have to travel and all that. But Cameron, there might not be a stadium in college basketball that's more 
changed by no fans than Cameron Indoor. There is no one on top of you. Basically, they played on a soundstage last night. It's essentially what they did. And so, Illinois beating them, it's not a true road win at Duke. That's how it looks, but it's not the Duke we all know and are terrorized, have terrorized opposing fan bases. You know, it's, that, it's not that Cameron Indoor in Durham that you would expect. So, when Illinois did that, they still took care of business, and they still outclassed you know, a young but very good Duke team, I think. Um, they might not be good right now, but they just they have a lot of good pieces, and they'll figure it out by the end of the day. They're Duke. They always do. Coach K is a phenomenal coach. He'll figure out a way to get the most out of those guys, I'm sure. But anyway, Missouri's won the last two games between these teams. Missouri has you – know, you heard from Scott. You heard from Ayo Desunmu. It definitely feels like Illinois – wants to come in and kind of romp Missouri. And yes, you can kind of throw the records out for a rivalry game, but Illinois comes in with the upper hand here. At the end of the day, with all of what Missouri's done, there's a lot more pressure on Illinois to win this game than Missouri. I hate to say it. And that might work to Illinois' favor in an, in an odd way. Um, there are so many great individual one-on-one matchups here at Coburn versus Tillman to Sunmu. I, I imagine Drew Smith will probably pick up the primary defensive assignment, even though He's not going to be the true point guard. Maybe Pinson, Pinson against him a little bit, but I expect Drew Smith kind of to get that assignment. Um, you know, Javon Pickett guarded him a lot last year. Uh, and, and then, you know, the lineups have obviously changed, but last year Mitch Smith kind of led this team to victory a lot of the time. We'll see how much if he comes back, because that was his signature performance of the year last year. We'll see if he plays a little bit more in these grungy games. I mean, I think Missouri won with both teams scoring like in the low 60s. I think it was 63-56 actually last year. I don't know why that just popped in my mind. Uh, but that that game was maybe like 29-21 at half. That was a very low-scoring game. I don't expect that this year. Uh, and I, I do think this game favors Illinois a little bit. But this would be the absolute bow on a season for Conzo, regardless of what happens tonight with Liberty. If they lose to Liberty but still beat Illinois, successful non-con, absolutely. I mean, Liberty was an NCAA tournament team last year. And you just look at everything that's kind of gone on for Missouri men's basketball. A win against Illinois would absolutely put them in the top 25, as would a win over Georgia for in every poll for Mizzou football. You just look at this is a huge Saturday. It could very well be two losses with a team who's ranked ninth and sixth coming to Columbia the same day. Two wins for Mizzou, which is not off the table. It's highly unlikely, but it is not off the table could do wonders for both of those programs and it's just just get your coffee and get you know anything you need it's gonna be a long day for us beat writers but it should be a fun day for fans for sure oh definitely i mean it's like i said it's the biggest saturday that missouri's had and and quite frankly half a decade and what are you comparing? I, I'm just I'm just curious. 2015. What, what what are you comparing to what's currently happening? I'm just going back the four years that I was at Missouri, and I don't remember you know two ranked opponents and the, the ability for Missouri even um, in the year that MTJ you know got hurt and there was so much hype going around um, Missouri basketball and that season. I mean. And that was the season where Mizzou football played in the Texas Bowl, where the Drew Locke, Tom Herman taunt went back and forth. That was that year. Well, so that, Missouri, so Missouri football wasn't on that level. So I mean, the yeah. only thing I can compare it to is when Missouri women's basketball beat Mississippi State. I believe that was last year um, or the year before. In Starkville, that was the year before. Yeah, the year before. But when it comes to basketball, I mean, this is the biggest game for men's basketball in years. And so it, it should be. Probably since the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, and ultimately, even if Missouri loses in basketball, you win tonight against 
at Liberty, you know, four and one leaving the non-con is still successful, especially if they're competitive against Illinois. And this team is only going to get better. It is so early in the season. And, you know, with, you know, practices changing and everything going on with the pandemic, I expect, you know, Illinois to get better and I expect Missouri to get better throughout the season. At the end of the day, these should be two NCAA tournament teams that we're seeing a pre-March matchup on Saturday. That really should be what we're looking at. Joe Lenardi had Mizzou as a 11 seed in, in t- last bracketology. I think they had Illinois as a three, um, and SLU actually is a seven, but that's for a different type of argument. But in any in any stretch, you know, uh, could uh, how the rivalries kind of changed is interesting because I came here. You know, you've lived here longer than I have, Lex, and I came here. One of the few things I knew about Missouri kind of coming here, especially about men's basketball, was bragging rights. And the fact that, you know, when I was in college, the rivalry started very high when Missouri was really good at the beginning of the decade and just kind of faded under Kim Anderson. And I, and I cannot remember off the top of my head the head coach Illinois had right before uh, Brad Underwood, but he wasn't very good. I can tell you that because he got fired. Um, but it's not, I don't believe it was Bruce Weber who's now at Kansas State or Bill Self. They both were former Illinois head coaches, not right back to back. But uh, just how it's kind of picked back up with both Brad Underwood and Conzo Martin and, you know, kind of steering these teams, it's absolutely picked up. The, the, this is going to be an interesting game for a lot of reasons. I think this is a highly emotional game. And I pointed it out in the interview with Scott Ritchie, but it'll it's just going to be one of the most interesting parts of the night to me is going to be seeing how badly Mark Smith gets booed with no crowd. And because the people who are there are going to be booing him are going to be the friends and family of his former teammates. Anyway, I just don't know how that's going to happen, but in uh, likely his last bragging rights game. But anything else you want to talk about, Langston, before we end this week's episode? No, I, I'm just looking forward to this weekend, and it should be a blast. Regardless, win, lo- lose, or draw. Uh, wait, there's no draws in, in college basketball. Or, or college win, lose, or overtime. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But it should be exciting and very telling for the futures of both of these programs this weekend. All right, for Langston News, I'm, I'm Eric Blum. Thanks for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next time. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.